Uh, as you know, we've been studying through uh, the book of Ephesians, and we've done the first five chapters or so. The more astute amongst you might recognize that we've missed a little bit. Do you remember we had that snow? How could you forget it? Uh, so that kind of threw our plans out a little bit. We'll revisit those a bit later in the year as we fit them in. But right now we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 6. And Paul here in Ephesians chapter 6 is summarizing and then calling people to action as he writes to the church in Ephesus. And we're going to uh, begin the second half of our series, which we have called What to Wear to the Battle. And so Paul uh, here is using the image of a, a Roman soldier. So I'm sure you have that in your mind right now. You can imagine what a Roman soldier might look like. And you can see some of the things that a Roman soldier would wear. Um, you might want to, uh, we'll be in this book for a, a month or two, in this chapter for a month or two. You might want to go and Google a picture of a Roman soldier so you've really got in your head what he's talking about. But of course, this would have been very familiar to the uh, readers and the listeners to this letter because the Roman soldiers were everywhere. And so every time they went out of their house pretty quickly, they would have been confronted with a Roman soldier. They would have seen the kind of things that they wore. And so Paul, what Paul does is he says, you're supposed to be equipped for battle, equipped for the war, that you're fighting as a Christian, and you need to be armed, and you need to be defended, and so you need to be wearing this armor if you're going to be effective in the battle. And we're going to be looking at what that really means. Um, so the first thing to, uh, we need to say is that you are in a battle. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, that you're fighting a, a battle, and it's important to remember that. It's important to believe that. And so as we read this few verses, I want you to bear that in mind. This is writing to you as if you're people who recognize that you're fighting. So it's Ephesians and chapter 6. I'm going to read a few verses starting from verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always be praying for all of the Lord's people. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the strength that it brings to us. And we pray even as we uh, speak about armor this morning, that even as we talk about it, uh, Father, I pray would you be arming us, each one, that we'd be strengthened to fight uh, for the gospel, that we'd be strengthened to fight for our faith, to fight for the church, to, be, to fight, Lord Jesus, for the witness of Christ in our city. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul is addressing people, and he's saying, look, you are in a battle, you're fighting, uh, and we need to believe that. We need to be convinced of that first. And I think one of the, the real dangers of being a Christian is that we, can, we just don't realize that you're engaged in a pitch battle with an enemy. And you, you're kind of doomed to failure if you don't realize that from the start. Imagine wandering into a modern-day battlefield just dressed as we are this morning. It would be a joke. 
It would be stupid. It would be foolishness, and you'd quite quickly be in trouble. And I guess all of your, of your companions would be shouting from the bunker or whatever, get back in. You're not ready. You're not prepared. And we need to be convinced that we are in a battle, that we need to be prepared to fight Listen, it's not that the Christian life is like a battle. It's not that it's sort of a metaphor for a battle. It is the battle of the ages to fight for your faith, to fight for the name of Jesus in our society, in our city, in our culture, is the fight. It is the battle which defines all other battles. You are in a battle. And we are battling for our families, for our city, for towns and villages, for our world and even maybe our nation. You see, if my idea of being a Christian is that, well, I just, uh, it's sort of a comfortable, financially stable, secure life with uh, sofas and lovely new carpets, then, listen, that's not really what this is addressing. And might I suggest you've picked the wrong religion. You've picked the wrong savior. Because that is not the experience of people who follow Jesus. Uh, Certainly biblically, it's not. And it'd be unlikely if it would be for us, and if you need further convincing that that's true, that we need to get into a mindset, into a, into a war footing, then let's look at the first two people who ever followed Jesus. So no one at this point has followed Jesus, and Jesus pitches up at the harbour side, and Peter and Andrew are fishing, and he says, follow me. The first two people who ever followed Jesus. And let's just have a quick look at what they had to battle with in order to follow Jesus, what it meant for them, what the fight was like for them. Well, they, let's just look at a few uh, fairly simple things. Well, they had to leave their family tradition behind them. So everything they knew about how to live came from their family, their father, their mother, the experience around them, and they had to leave all of that in order to follow Jesus. They had to leave it behind. That would have been a mental battle So Jesus says, follow me. They'd been doing the same thing, fishing, all of their lives. And it was a good thing, and it provided for their families. There's nothing wrong with it. But Jesus said, now now it's time to follow me. And they had to leave that behind. And there would have been an emotional wrench to come out of those traditions. They had to leave the financial security that went with that behind them. That's how they made a living. They caught fish and they sold them, and that's how they made enough money to look after themselves and their family. And Jesus said, leave your nets. Leave your nets. Leave your means of making money and come and follow me. And they had to battle with that. Well, how, how is anything going to get, get paid for then? And then uh, we know over the time how Jesus uh, uh, spoke to them about that and talked to them about money and talked about generosity and all those kind of things. But that would have been a battle for financial security, they were leaving a business behind, something really stable, something to have taken pleasure in, something that they could have been proud of, something they built up maybe over generations, the equipment, the boats, the nets, all of which they had to leave behind. Again, that's a battle to know how to do that. Now, this is not what God calls everyone to do. If you're a businessman right now, God doesn't just mean just leave it all, but he does mean you hand it over to him in terms of who is controlling, who is leading, it does mean that we submit our plans to the Lord when we make our plans. And they had to do that. For them, it was, of course, an actual physical leaving, leaving home. They had to leave home. Many of us, we like our homes, don't we? We we spend a lot of energy making a home a lovely place to be. There's a lot of security, a lot of comfort 
that goes into doing that, and he, Jesus said, leave it. Come and follow me. You're going to be my disciple to these first two. Leave it behind. They were leaving familiarity behind. Things that they knew and understood were having to fall away in order to follow Jesus. You couldn't do both. You couldn't have all the familiar stuff, even the things we've spoken about, and follow Jesus. They had to leave it behind them. They were going to attract the attention of the authorities in a way they never had before. And that would ultimately be the Romans, but it was also, of course, the religious authorities. And if you'd lived in those days, you just kept your head down. You wouldn't want to attract attention from any of those groups. And they're going to do that quite quickly. And again, that's a battle as they suddenly realize, wow, what we're doing, we are clashing up with the authorities who normally, you know, we we, we try and avoid if we can. Or we respect them. And now suddenly we're at odds with them. And that's part of their battle. They were going to be confronted with their shortcomings personally. Think of Peter. Think of all the things that he said and did over the years through the, through the Gospels. He seems like he just opened his mouth to change feet. Remember when he said to Jesus, no, don't, you know, don't go to the cross. And Jesus actually said to him, get behind me, Satan. You're like, wow, hang on. I just thought it wouldn't be a good idea if you'd get killed. And, and Jesus is confronting him. He's saying, you've got to change, Peter. You, you don't have a mindset for the battle. He's being challenged again and again. Both of them would be challenged on who they were and what they believed. It was going to be a battle. They would, listen, they would spend long periods of time not really knowing what was going on. They just didn't understand a lot of what Jesus was about. Right up to the point, in fact, they didn't really get it until they were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. A lot, the last question that they asked Jesus before he ascended was kind of, are we going to now kick the Romans out? Is the kingdom coming? And they'd missed the point of all those three years together. They just didn't understand what was happening. That was a battle for them. They must have felt a bit daft when it dawned on them what was really going on, the kind of fighting that they were being called to. But they had to somehow fight that battle of not really being sure what was going on. They were going to have to fight a battle of seeing friends and family mistreated and killed because they loved Jesus. Can you imagine the thought process? Is it really worth it? As you see a friend being beaten or as you see a friend being mistreated or misrepresented, is it really worth it? They had to fight that battle. They were going to be called to cross impossible cultural boundaries. Peter was going to be called to the Gentiles. He says, take and eat. Remember the vision that Peter was going to have later in his life. It was going to be a massive challenge. to Go take the gospel to people that you don't already know about. They were going to be imprisoned. And ultimately, both of them would be killed. So history tells us on crosses. There. They were in a battle. That was the fight that they were called to when they, when they signed up to follow Jesus. And if they didn't know about it, they didn't think it was a battle, they were pretty quickly going to find that out. You see, at any point in the battle, that what they faced is in some ways similar to what we face. At any point, they could have, they could have just walked away. Said, oh, it's too much. It's too much. I can't take the not knowing. I just need to know more details. I don't understand. I'm just going to walk away. Or oh, this is too expensive. I've got a whole business to go and run. It's too much. They could have walked away. They could have denied their faith. At any point, when, they, when Jesus started to be persecuted, 
They could have said, no, no, hang on. I didn't sign up for this. This is too much. They could have settled down. Said, hey, they got to a village, thought, hey, this is a nice place to live. Let's just settle down here. Let's make this our home then. They could have just, frankly, given up. The temptation must have been huge just to give up. Especially when they didn't always know what Jesus was about. They could have compromised. And of course, we know Judas did compromise. But they could have done that across the board. Let's just make it a bit easier. They could have sinned. They could have sought personal gain. Hanging out with Jesus, being one of those 12 disciples, when Jesus was healing people, the temptation to draw some attention to yourself as one of those 12 must have been huge. They could have done that. They had to fight and to believe and to trust. They could have taken some time out. They could have done that because it was all too much. They could have given in to cynicism. They could have just become cynical. I don't really believe Jesus can do what he says he's going to do. Or they could have blamed others for their difficulties. All of those things they had to fight as well as the physical things that they would face that maybe we don't in quite the same way. These were the lives and challenges of the first two people that ever followed Jesus. They were in a fight, and so are we. We need to make our peace with the fact that if you are a Christian, if you're following Jesus, then you have an enemy. And let's just turn to the passage and see what Paul has to say about that. How do we face our enemy? And Paul starts by saying this in Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He says, do something. Do something, Christian. Do something. And that what you need to do is to be strong. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's an instruction, a command even. Now, that kind of language would have been familiar to those Jews who would have known their history, but it might well be familiar to you too, because that's language from somewhere else in the Bible. It's language from the Old Testament, and it's language that was used to Joshua. And Joshua was, was the leader who took the Israelites into their promised land. And this is what was said to him and through him as he did that at the dawn of huge physical battles that the Israelites were going to have to face. It's very similar to the language that Paul uses in Ephesians. So here we are, Joshua 1. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified, don't be discouraged, for the Lord God is with you wherever you go. So God instructs Joshua on the dawn of all his battles in the same way that Paul now addresses the believer. He says, be strong in the Lord. Be courageous. It's going to take a mindset if we're going to fight. And that mindset is a mindset of be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. There are two traps for the believer, uh, two ends of a pendulum swing, if you like, that we get into when we uh, begin to think about a fight of faith. And on, uh, both ends are, are not helpful, and usually with these things, somewhere in the middle is really what is being taught. But we need to know the two ends because they can become distractions for us. The first, and you might be familiar with this, would be a mindset 
that rather than be strong and courageous, says this, let go and let God. You must have heard that if you've been a Christian for any length of time. Just let go and let God. God will do it all. Just free will, it'll be fine. It'll, somehow it'll all work out. Don't really need to do anything. God's in charge. It's all going to be just fine and work out. And actually, that, 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 I mean, it sounds great. It sounds wonderful. <laughs> Let's just free wheel. You know, it's lovely. Let's just go down the hill. It'll be fine. Except then, when we hear passages like this one, it clashes with that, doesn't it? Because Paul says, no, be strong. Fight. Be strong. Something for you to do. It's not just, well, let go, relax, don't worry. Don't worry about reading your Bible. You know, don't worry about spending time with God. It'll be fine. It'll just work out somehow. And actually, Paul is saying, no, you've got to engage. It won't just work out. That's one end of the, of the spectrum as well. The other end is that it's all down to you. It's just all about what you can do and what you can achieve. And you've got to work really hard and you better get up really early and pray for hours and hours every day. That You better learn massive swathes of Scripture and if you don't, oh, you're in real trouble. You know, that's the other end. So you can feel as if it's all down to me and it just makes you incredibly anxious. It can make you really anxious that I'm not really making it and oh my goodness, I'm vulnerable and am I really, is God really protecting me? Do you see the two ends of the spectrum? And, and here Paul gloriously in the middle says this, be strong in the Lord's mighty power. You see, you've got both in there. He's saying, yes, you be strong, but whose power are you being strong? Well, it's his power. And he, he, elsewhere, Paul says, I, I fight with all of his energies. There's an access to something greater than yourself, but there is needs to at least attempt to access something that God is giving us. Another version of the Bible puts it this way. It says, be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength, which I look quite like. Be strengthened by his vast strength. There is resources for you beyond your imagining. Now go access them, soldier. Go arm yourself with them. Go be prepared for battle with his vast strength. Paul then continues, and he, he starts talking about the enemy. And it's quite easy for us Christians to get a bit nervous at this point. But let's just read what he says and find out what he means by it. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now your first reaction might be to sort of panic. And uh, if you're anything like me, and you may be, I apologize if you are, I do feel for you. But if you're anything like me, you probably don't spend a huge amount of time thinking about the devil, and that's probably a good thing. Uh, but Paul now is saying that you have an enemy. It's the devil. He's, he, he doesn't like what, who you are and what you're about. But he hates you. He wants to destroy you. And so how do we cope with that? Well, we need to understand how the New Testament talks about the enemy that we face. And he, the enemy really and the, uh, the battle for the Christian can be split into three uh, broad areas, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And when we engage with the enemy and we, when we stand up and fight, we realize that we're fighting in, usually in one of those arenas. The world around you doesn't love Jesus. Have you noticed that's true? The systems of the world are not worshiping Jesus right now. And so we have to engage with the enemy on that basis. And we have to fight because we're fighting against a world mindset, a worldview that doesn't include Jesus in it. And then your flesh. 
Some of us have more of that than others. But we all have to fight against the fact that my flesh doesn't naturally want to follow Jesus. wants to do other things. And so I have to inform my flesh, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. And, I, and that includes my mind as well. I'm not going to think that way. I'm not going to do that thing. It's a battle. It's, I have to engage with it. I have to say no to things and yes to things. I have to actually do that, knowing what God wants and what God loves. But listen, here's what the Bible also teaches. that he's, Yes, the devil is real. Yes, he's powerful. But listen, he is defeated. He has been overcome. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He defeated the enemy. And in Colossians 2, we read this. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. He disarmed the enemy. Your enemy is disarmed, but he's still real. I want you, there's, there's a balance between those two things. He can't do whatever he wants. We know that from the book of Job. You read through that Old Testament book, what you find is God, the enemy has to ask permission of God before he can do anything to Job. He's not just free to do what he likes, but he is powerful. When I was a kid, I used to fish, and I used to fish for eels in a little river that I lived next to, and they're really tasty if you get to eat an eel. Not jelly eels, that's a whole different game. But eel is tasty. But listen, you can catch an eel, you can chop its head off, and it still thrashes about for quite a long time. In fact, it makes a real mess. It's also very slimy and unpleasant. You have to deal with it carefully. Listen, we have a defeated enemy. The head's off, but he can thrash him out about and make a mess. And so that's why we need to be armed. He's a defeated enemy, but he's a real enemy nonetheless. And then what we do is we come on to the armor itself. And we'll spend some time here in a moment or two. But the nature of each uh, item in the soldier's armory helps us understand the nature of the battle, both in how the devil attacks us and how to overcome him. So as we approach each aspect of this armor, we're learning something about the nature of the attack and also about the defense. So as soon as the enemy gets any attention, as it were, in this, in, with this armor, immediately comes, and with it comes, how do we defend ourselves, or how do we attack? How do we fight in that particular area? And we need to get that. So you, you think about the soldier with the helmet and the breastplate and the sword and shield and all the other stuff, and you realize, yeah, each aspect has something for us to do. So when Paul is saying, be strong, he's not just saying, stiff up a lip, boys. Like, you know, come on, girls, just, you know, fold your arms really tight, grit your teeth. That's not what he means to be strong. He's saying there are practical things to do and believe. There are things you need to go and do, and as you do them, you're putting this armor on. As you instruct your mind, as you give yourself to certain things, in terms of worship and the word of God and prayer. As you do those things, you're going to find yourself strengthened. So even as this enemy is kind of presented to us, so we find comes our defense at the same time. Have you ever heard the phrase, I'm sure you have, truth is the first casualty of war? Now, it's very hard to find out who first said that. It's been around for a long time. But truth is the first casualty of war. And you think that's absolutely true, and it's even true biblically. 
Think about the garden, Adam and Eve. They, they promise something by God, and then this snake comes to them and says, did God really say? Truth is being attacked at the very first point. The very first battle fought is a battle for truth. Truth is the first casualty of war. And the thing that we're going to look at very briefly this morning is just the foundation for everything else, which is the belt of truth. Now, the belt of truth, or the belt for the Roman soldier, was like the foundation for the armor. Think about a thick leather belt that would hold everything else in place. That's a little bit uh, thin, I think. It probably would have been a bit more chunky. Everything else hang, kind of hangs off that, is secured by that. And I want you to think of it just even in, in this moment. Imagine yourself strapping on a big leather belt, because that's what we need to be doing if we're going to get this armor right, if we're going to get our foundation right in our fight and in our battle. The belt of truth. And even as we talk about this, I want you to think about strapping this on so that everything else will fit. So it holds everything else in place. It's the foundation. And what, so what is that truth? Is it sort of truth as a concept? Well, partly. But listen, Jesus in John, in John 14, 6, Jesus says this. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And so the first thing that we learn about this armor, the first foundation, if we're going to fight, if we're going to be prepared for battle, is Jesus himself. And we've been learning throughout this letter, as Paul uses the phrase, you are in Christ. You are in Christ. So you have access to the truth like no one else on the planet does. That he is part of you, you're part of him. He's coming to live with you, fill you with his Holy Spirit. The spirit of truth will live in you. So when we have opportunities to be filled with the Holy Spirit, as people say from time to time, do you need to, do you need to come and be prayed for and be filled again? Yes, why? Because I'm buckling on the belt of truth again. I need to be filled with Jesus himself, the spirit of Jesus. That's what I need. If I'm going to fight, I need to be equipped. And the first thing in that equipment is the belt of truth, the strength that comes from knowing Christ, of being found in him. Secondly, it's, it's God's word. And as Jesus prays for his disciples in John 17, he says this, sanctify them by your truth. And he's praying this to his father. Your word, he says, is truth. Your word is truth. So God's word is part of our armor. It's a foundational aspect of it. And we, this is true. It's the truth. It's not subjective. It's true. You can build your life on this. You can stand firm. The decisions that you face today, the impossible, challenging difficulties that you're thinking about right now, the answers are here. It's God's truth. You will find it. And generations after generations have found that to be true. And as you learn it, as you read it, as you get it into yourself, as it bubbles up in your mind and your heart, you are strapping on that foundation to all the other armor. And if you don't, then it's like having a loose-fitting belt. Have you ever had a belt that never really strapped properly? You know, you have the free belts you used to get with trousers back in the 80s. That you'd, I'd pull it on, and like five minutes later, it's like, oh, what happened to that? Well, it's like that if we treat the Bible with disdain. I, well, yeah, I've got a belt, but, you know, it doesn't really, it's not really secure. My mind goes to other things when I've got to make a decision. Not to his word. We are missing out something. God is arming you for battle. He's saying, it's all here. Everything you need to 
everything else can rest on this and be strapped onto this truth. So read it. <laughs> Learn it. Get it into yourself. It's just a fantastic part of the arm. If you were standing, if it's in the whole James Bond thing where the wall slides back and it's just full of kind of weapons, isn't it? And we're all like, whoa, this looks good. Uh, well, it's a bit like that, isn't it? And then we just start thinking, nah, don't like any of those. And we just walk off and think, oh, I'll just, I'll manage what I've got in my pocket. I'll be fine. That's a bit like when God says, strap this truth to yourself. Strap it on. Everything else, everything else can just, just kind of falls away if we don't have this in place. Learn it. Learn. I mean, I, I remember as a, as a child, we used to learn quite big swathes of Scripture. And what I find, I'm so grateful to my parents for doing that and helping me with that and others, other leaders who did too. What I find is in many situations, the Holy Spirit brings that back. That's what bubbles up. I'm so grateful for it. So I'm faced with something, oh, crumbs, what do we do now? And scripture comes. Why? Because it's a belt of truth. It's helping. It's the Holy Spirit engaging with his own word and helping me engage with the battle. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, then you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We, we always chop the end of that off, don't we? The truth will set you free. Oh, that's a lovely scripture. Sit it, stick it on the wall. You know, let's have a lovely poster with that on some trees. You know, that, that's what we need. You will know the truth. How? If you're committed to my word. We need to be committed to this. We're vulnerable if we don't have this strapped on tight. We are vulnerable. And it's not just for you either, because we're supposed to fight. That's the whole point of the whole passage. Get on a war footing. Recognize that it's a fight of faith. It's a fight for this city. It's a fight of faith for our neighbors and friends. And we need to be prepared. I've long had an image in my head of, uh, of, a, of the church, how it can sometimes seem. And it's of a hillside. Just imagine a, a sunlit hillside. It's grass and there's a few trees. And across the hillside, there are knights. You know, the knights with all their armor on. And it's all the metal armor and the helmets. And, it's, and the sun is shining off this armor. And they're, but they're, what they're doing essentially is they're lying a, across this hillside. And they, and they lean over and they buff someone's armor. Oh, you've got a bit of a smudge there. And they give it a bit of a shine. Oh, that's better. Oh, nice sword. You know, and it's like, you know, and, and like, you're supposed to fight. You're not supposed to buff each other's armor. You're supposed to go and engage with the enemy. <laughs> Just, do you see the picture? They're knights. They're supposed to fight. You're soldiers. We're supposed to, soldiers fight. That's what they do. They engage with an enemy. They take the, the fight to the enemy. That's what Christians are supposed to do. If you hold to my teaching, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Glorious, glorious truth. Some, some theologians would say this next point is pushing it a bit. Others will be happy with it. And that is that truthfulness is also part of our armor. It's part of this belt. That is that we speak truthfully to one another. Now, you can do that in a number of ways. So you can be truthful with two barrels, can't you? Done my bit. I told them the truth, just, and then they have to go away and live with the consequences. But the New Testament says this. Tell the truth in love to one another. It says, yes, you need to be truthful, but think about the other person. 
Think about the person that you're offloading to. Think about how they would react. Love them. Consider them more important than yourself, as the Bible tells us. And then in that context, thinking about the context, the timing, and then, and then bring the truth to them. Prayerfully, in real love. And in doing that, we are beginning to arm ourselves so that there's not mistrust. And what happens when we don't do that is distance between us. We just suddenly find, well, I don't, you know, there's obviously something going on with that person. I don't know what it is. They never tell me. And we get distance between us. And that's not family life as the Bible describes it. Now, just to finish here, there are a number of cultural challenges when we talk about truth. And you'll be instantly aware of them because they're very familiar to us. Firstly, there's no such thing as truth. There are no absolutes. We've heard that. Yeah, except for one, of course. There's the one absolute, which is that there are no absolutes. But there are no absolutes. There's no such thing as truth. It just doesn't exist. And Jesus is saying, I'm truth. He is standing against our cultural narrative right there and saying, I am truth. The truth and the life. That's me. So we clash with our culture right in that immediately. And not just do we clash with it, but he's saying this is foundational for fighting as a Christian. Just be aware of that. This is truth. It's true. Absolutely. Foundational truth for your life. It's not subjective. All truth we would hear is subjective. It's a matter of opinion. It's true for me. It's just true for me. Or have you heard this? Let me have my truth. Let me have my truth. And you might have even said it yourself. It just means I've done something stupid. I don't want to admit it. So let me have my truth. That's kind of what it means. Be aware of that. Let's be truthful people based on his truth. It's humbling to do that. It, it means that it's actually the beginning of the gospel, isn't it? To admit that we've, we're wrong. We should be familiar with admitting we're wrong as Christians because it's, it's the very first thing you do when you approach Christ. Realize, I can't do it. I need a savior. I can't do this on my own. I need help. And so to do it amongst ourselves shouldn't be too much of a stretch. We are bombarded with opinion night and day. And that opinion, which stands against objective truth, particularly in God's word, it, listen, it comes with a weight of emotion that makes it very difficult to stand up against it. When you hear stuff about marriage, or you hear stuff about abortion, or if you hear stuff about all kinds of things, and it comes with such a pervasive weight of emotion that, wow, I'm being told the government are telling me everything, you know, Facebook's telling me, you know, all the, all the cultural narratives are telling me something. But actually, the Word of God says something really different. What do I do now? Well, we need to make sure that I know what the truth actually is. And then I need to engage with it. 